Hey, my name is Akash Thakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're going to interview everyone from plugin makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between, and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the worlds of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the worlds of music and sound, and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. My guest today is Mark Abrams. Mark is a mixing engineer, producer, and audio educator who has worked with people such as Angel Lopez, as well as with clients such as Sony, Toyota, Nintendo, and many others. Mark is also a mentor at PureMix.com and runs the company Echo Punch, which is a social media scheduling platform designed to help artists promote their albums and music in an intelligent and thoughtful way on social media. In this episode, we talk about how important it is to promote our music and how to do that, how to help others in our field and how helping others helps us, and how to start looking at our music career as a business so we can start getting the career results we really want. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Mark Abrams. So one thing that I know you do a lot is that you help a lot of other artists. So whether it be like on Pure Mix or whether you're managing content on Pure Mix to help people mix or even Echo Punch, where you help artists create content and campaigns, which we're definitely going to dive into. Where did that start? Like, not necessarily a lot of people have that mindset of like, oh, I need to help others. I need to help others in my field. How did that first come up? Oh, man, coming right out of the gate with a great question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I've kind of had that thing, I guess, where like, I'd, I'd love helping other people. I, I get a charge out of that for sure. And Maybe that's it's even like a little bit selfish because one of the things that I really love is like teaching something that is maybe like a roadblock for creatives and then seeing what they do when that that particular topic is unlocked. Right. So if it's like somebody having problems with like Pro Tools or, you know, Ableton or like their computer in some way or whatever it is, like taking away that barrier so that they can just move freely. It's so fun to see what they do with that knowledge and watch it just kind of like grow from there. So there's, uh, I love like helping people any way that I can with that and seeing them grow. That's awesome. That's so good. And you've, uh, you've even mentioned that you've done that for other producers, like Angel Lopez is a good example where you would give them like Pro Tools advice and stuff. And now look how things have blown Dude. up. <laughs> yeah, talking about somebody <laughs> blowing up, my gosh. That, he's so freaking talented, like all just so talented. But yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great example, man. He is <laughs> so fun to watch. And you've worked with him too. So like can you talk about how that came about? Yeah, yeah. So the the story with Angel, Angel is now a producer for anybody who doesn't know. Like he works on Timberland's production team. And I met Angel when we were much younger. I was playing guitar for an artist named Joseph Michael and re making his records and everything. And we were playing a gig and Joseph is an awesome musician, but he would love to like throw curveballs into the set at the last second. So it would just be like, we're going to play like these random songs that we've never rehearsed before. And like, maybe I haven't even heard or, you know, like, here's a chord progression. Just, just go, we'll just go. And uh, in this particular case, we were playing a gig and there were a couple hundred people there and we're at soundcheck and this kid is on stage across the stage and uh, setting up his keyboard. And like, I went over to Joseph and was just like, who, who's that? 
<laughs> he's like, he's like, oh, that's this kid Angel. I just met him like a couple of weeks ago. He's amazing. You're gonna love it. Like, just don't worry about it. It'll be fine. And while we're playing, I could like just half the time I'm like trying to tell myself to remember to play the guitar because I was so blown away by what Angel was doing and what was coming back in my monitor. It was just like just incredible. So that's how I met him. And then he very, very humble beginnings. He was still living with his mom, I believe, at the time. And he was working on a track with Joseph. They were having Pro Tools problems. I went over to to help him out and stuff. And that was when Angel and I started talking more and I like helped him figure out some stuff in the studio. But he was literally producing in a closet. So he had like taken the closet doors off and put his keyboard and his computer in there. So he had room next to his bed to be able to work on tracks. So there's like a little vocal mic up over in the corner and Joseph was trying to sing into that. But that like started a really cool friendship, just getting to know him more. And then when I opened a studio with Cindy Vaughn in Columbus, Ohio, and Angel started bringing artists to that studio and producing. So I would engineer for him. And every time he would come back, it was like just another level, another level, another level. And then uh, at one point he sent Timberland a DM with some beats. It's like a fairy tale, like Snow White kind of story. It's Snow White. I don't know. Maybe that's not the right one, but Cinderella, that's it. Um, but he he sent him a couple of beats and he actually got a call and he was like, hey, come out here and make some records with me, whatever. So yeah, he's been working with him ever since. And just seeing that, like remembering the closet setup to like getting a call from him recently to like work on some stuff is just like the whole thing's just a mind blowing, amazing, you know, wonderful story. Uh, so you hit on something really important is there's no way to know where all these little things you do in the music industry will end up, right? One contact with somebody could lead into a seven figure gig 10 years from now. You have no idea. So can you talk to that for the people who are just getting started in their careers, producing, mixing, anything like that? Can you talk to that and help people realize the importance of those little bits of help you can provide or those little bits of networking effort you can put in, maybe even share some examples from your career? Yeah, I mean... Angel's a really good one because at that time I was I was making records and everything and things are going well and like I didn't charge anybody for that call that was just like my friends called and they couldn't get Pro Tools to work and you know he lived like maybe 20 minutes away it was like in the middle of something and I, I mean I guess that that's it's maybe an example that that one's also just like go help out your friends but that was a case of like just stop what you're doing and go help somebody or don't say no that's a big example of it. Actually, uh, and another one is even the studio that I work at right now that started um, the the owner, Cindy Vaughn, who I mentioned, she's a vocal coach. And I met her through a mutual friend. And at the time, she had a small music instruction studio in the basement of a jewelry building. She's an amazing vocal coach and has a bunch of big credits at this point and everything. But it was a lot of little kids. And my friend was like, hey, she needs help like recording demos for students. And I was like, I don't know if I want to go record karaoke tracks with, with little kids or whatever. But I was like, I'd take the gig, like go go help her out or whatever. And I was thinking like, I'll at least set it up for her and teach her how to use it. And, you know, fast forward now, I've been working with her since 2009. So 12 years, you know, and that went from the basement of that jewelry building to we built a full-blown commercial recording studio that's like five thousand square feet and amazing i mean we've had some some large acts and everything it's like a legit place and if i had just said like oh she's just doing demos with kids or whatever we never would have built that place you know so that's probably another example of like always say yes you never know what something could be and you never know what the person who's sitting next to you is going to do in the future either that's a hundred percent true for sure in this field. And sometimes that growth is super fast. 
So can you talk about your growth? Because you started off, you know, musician like most people in your field, then eventually got into production, mixing, all that sort of stuff. Usually most people don't come out saying like, I'm going to be a producer. Nowadays, that does happen. But starting out like earlier days, that didn't really happen. So how did that kind of growth go? How did you realize, oh, wait, this is what I want to be doing? Yeah, it's it's funny because I remember um, the first time I had like kind of heard about producers i was in high school and i only knew about it from reading the cd jackets and everything like oh produced by blah 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 who's that they're important enough for their name to be on the back of the <laughs> cd case and not just in the book or whatever you know so i was like oh maybe i could do that and i remember um i remember giving a girl a ride home from school uh i was like probably junior or senior year i'm like giving him a ride home and she's like so what do you want to do like with your life after you know high school and everything and it's like i think i want to be a music producer she's like well, that's ambitious, <laughs> like in a, like the worst possible wow. way, like deliver. that's not real or whatever. And I was like, oh, that makes me want to do it more. But I don't know what that means. So and then I didn't think about it again. But the next thing that like was kind of the catalyst for it was the second band that I was in. We went and made a record at a studio in Columbus. And this is like very early in the Pro Tools days. And I didn't really understand that computers can make music at this point. And we're in the studio and. I remember it was like a Tuesday in the morning and I remember just like it clicking that, Hey, wait, like he's, he's editing music in a computer and we're here. It's like early on a Tuesday. And I just asked him like, is this what you do? And he's like, yeah, this is what I do. And that was like a moment where I was like, Oh, this is a real career. And I just had to like start figuring out how to pursue that. Awesome. Can you talk about the like initial practice then? Because when you hear music producer, that can mean so many different things. Some people are vocal producers. Some people work on one style of music. Some work on several. Like, What was that initial foray for you? And how did that initial practice start? That So for me, to, to date myself here, this is probably all happening around like 1999, like 2000. And I got a cassette four track for graduation in high school, uh, which I still have and I'll never get rid of. But that was sort of like I just wanted to write songs for my band and be able to like bring them to practice and stuff. And, you know, just having four tracks and learning like, oh, I could like layer these things and what what would work together. That was kind of like the initial practice. And then after that kind of epiphany moment at that studio, there was a very early version of Pro Tools, like the first home system you could get. And when I told my parents I wanted to like really pursue that and like leave the college I was at and go to this other audio college, I told them about this thing and they're like, well, if you get it and you love it and like you really want to stick with it, then we'll, we can talk about it. So they, they helped me get my first little Pro Tools rig and I locked myself in my room and just read the manual like front to back and we just try to make tracks like all the time. And that was basically the practice was just like, how can I make my stuff not sound terrible and just create as much as I possibly can? Like I, you know, most of the time wouldn't even revisit song ideas like, like a lot of people, but I would just kind of go through the motions over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And now that you've, you know, gone through it, you have the full career and, you know, amazing list of credits. What do you feel that a good mixing engineer or producer does, right? Cause when you look on the outside, they're just at a computer poking at files, but it's so much further than that. Right. Yeah. The most important thing for either of those roles is to really bring the artist vision to life. I think that that's, that's number one, always the job. That's, that's really what we're doing. It's a service-based industry. And I think like early on, a lot of mistakes can happen with people where they, they think like, 
I'm going to do the most amazing thing that I can possibly do. And everybody's going to think I'm awesome as this like mixing engineer or producer. And that's not the goal. The goal is to have an amazing conversation with the artist and really like get into the core of what it is that they're trying to do and then bring that to life and make sure that those traits that you see in those conversations come out in the music. That's probably the most important thing. There's a whole conversation on the changing of uh, what producer means, especially like in the time I've been in it, it, it's not the same as it used to be anymore. And yeah, the basic thing of that is like the producer used to be the guy who organized everything and helped decide songs, helped work on, you know, songwriting and everything. But then it was more of a thing of like, we're going to mold the performances into the right thing. But it was a lot of like not putting your hands on the on the controls or playing instruments. Whereas today, somebody like Angel, who is a modern day producer, there's a good chance he'll play everything on the record except for the vocals. And even then he's cutting the vocals and, and tuning and doing all the vocal production stuff of it, where it's almost like his record in a way, but you know, it's still the same thing. Like he's as good as, you know, he is at what he does because he is very, very attentive to what the artist is asking for. So it's just wild how that word has, has totally changed in the last like 20 years. Yeah, it's radically different than when I was growing up. It meant basically the person who organized stuff and got some basic things done. But now it can be literally everything. <laughs> and so for you, when you're working with these artists and you're talking to them, is there are there times where you feel like you need to be a bit of a psychic? Because like, you know, they might say they need X, Y, Z. And you're like, wait, I think what they actually mean is ABC. And I need to go that direction. And how do you know? where that line is and how do you know like okay this is what they probably mean with these words because they might not know like oh i want these three compressors and this reverb routed like this they probably won't tell you that right right yeah it's a lot of listening to reference tracks or like stuff that they like and a lot of time you can learn a lot more from asking them what did you listen to on the way to the studio today than you can from like what's a good reference track for the one that we're working on right now because the thing that they, you know, pulled up just to clear their head is probably, you know, very close to their heart in some way. But yeah, I think there's a lot of just like you have to do with being a podcast host, right? Where like you'll ask a question and the answer could have something nested inside of it that you're like, oh, we have to explore that. But it really isn't the answer to the question. It was just like this little phrase that came out, right? And it's the same with an artist. Like when you're when you're having the conversations about like, tell me about the song, tell me about these lyrics, like whatever it is, they'll say like little nuggets of information without any spotlight on them. And once in a while, you'll like grab that and it's the entire direction. That's really cool. Yeah, I like that. And like you said, it's a service-based industry. So that service is doing that listening, doing that nugget grabbing, as you said. Right. Yeah, it's all about figuring out what they're what they're after, <laughs> for sure. Awesome. I love it. And so when you're in these projects, because some projects take longer than others, some, you know, you know, you're done in a few days, some might take weeks, some might take months, some might take years, depending on what's happening. Some projects, when we're creatives, it gets to the point where there's a slog halfway through sometimes where you're like, okay, I just need to like keep going on this. Maybe the uh, honeymoon phase has dried up. How do you kind of stay motivated throughout that whole creative process to make sure that even during those down points, maybe you don't even feel like you know what you're doing sometimes, that you still keep going, you still keep creating? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm actually in a record right now, thanks to the pandemic that was stretched out for two years at this point. No, uh, two and a half years. We started just before lockdowns. We did initial tracking and 
there was a lot of like trickling. There was sessions that were done over Zoom and everything, just completely taking like that energy that you get from being in the room with people, like just sucking it right out and still having to like create this energetic thing. And the thing that keeps me going is it's interactions with the artist for sure. Because when something is drug out, like we could go weeks without having a session or something or working on that record, they're off touring, whatever, like whatever happens. And when we get back together and you see their ambition about it, and then you pull up those tracks for the first time, like something kind of reignites and then like the momentum starts going again. Fortunately, it also gets stopped again, <laughs> like if, you know, <laughs> sometimes, and that's why they drag out. But yeah, usually if, if I'm feeling like a project's dragging, if I've been working on it by myself, like if we've tracked stuff and then I'm, I'm working alone for a long period of time, it's usually something like I need to either get these guys in for a session or just take them out to lunch or dinner or something like that and like get back to the core of what it is that we're creating here because you can totally get lost in just, you know, pushing stuff around inside of a computer and, and all that. And it's a lot of it for me is just like getting back to connection with the artist. Yeah. And speaking of that pushing stuff around in a computer, it's really hard for people, especially when they're starting to know when something is done. It's so easy to be like, oh, I can just tweak this a little more, this one vocal take. Oh, maybe I'll use this one. Maybe I'll cut this one word in. What do you do to know that you're done? Is it always a deadline or is there something else kind of letting you know? Deadlines are powerful for sure. And they're necessary, I think, most of the time. Usually, as far as like when something is done, one of the things that happens with mixing for me is as I'm going through something, when it's, you know, if I'm just discovering the multi-track for the first time, let's say I didn't produce the record and I'm just mixing, I'm listening for things that pull me away from the song or away from the the lyric or from the vocal or whatever it is, like distracting things. Like it can be like a mouth pop or something like that, or like, you know, a, a tongue click or something like that. And it'll just snap me out of like, I'm listening to music into like, this is a recording of a person in front of a microphone that could hear the thing dangling in the back of their throat, you know? <laughs> so usually I'm just like fighting against distractions and things that break the fourth wall or, or something like that. So I feel like a mix is done when I can pull it up. Usually like, hopefully there's like time to listen to it the next day and just hear it with fresh ears. And a lot of times what I'll do is just shut the screen off and just listen. And I'm just waiting for my brain to say like, that vocal's too loud or like that guitar jumped out, you know, or just stuff like that. And when I get to the point where I can make it start to finish without saying like, go tweak, then I'm like, it's done. I'm not gonna listen again. I'm going to send it to the artist or whatever, and then let them tell me what pulled them out of the song and the back and forth of that. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of like, just do I hear anything else? Did I have notes? If I didn't have notes, like, let's keep moving, move forward. That's a fantastic answer. I love that of looking for those distractions that pull you out of the song. And once it is done, you know, once you and the artist are happy with it, there's an interesting thing that I've noticed happens with a lot of artists is you finish the song, they have it, it's amazing. They love it, you love it. And then there's the whole other side of music of putting it out there, promoting it, making so people know it exists, making sure that the artist exists at all. But what I see a lot is they get the song and they'll just be like, well, okay, I guess I'll upload it now. And there's nothing beyond that. It's just, let's put it online. So what do you have to say to that? Like, what, what do you say to artists who do that? Or how do you help them not do that and stay away from that sort of mindset? Well, okay, so two things with that. One is in, as a creative, 
I feel this too. I feel it with pure mix videos and anything I create really like not with other people's music when I'm working on it. That's, that's for them to do and experience and enjoy. But I, I definitely know the feeling of like, I finished something. I need everybody to see it now, you know, <laughs> it's like, everybody needs to see it right now. And the truth is like, nobody not to like diminish it and say nobody cares but nobody knows it's coming it doesn't like you can do it whenever calm down um but yeah what you described is like one of my biggest nightmares working with other artists and like i've i've told this a lot in talking about the promotion side of it but i can't tell you like how many times an artist like we'd finish up and you know back in the day it was like handing them a cd or now it's like all right you got the link to the files or whatever but the conversation was always like, what's next with it? What are you guys going to do? And I would just hear time and time again, like, DistroKid can have it up in two weeks, so we're going to go home and upload it. It's like, what? And they're like, yeah, we should have the artwork. Like, I think it got mailed over to us. We should, I think we're good to go, like, tonight. We're going we're gonna to go upload it or whatever. And it's like, don't do that. Like, you mentioned you can work on a record for years sometimes. Like, it can be that long, even months or whatever. And people drain their savings and then get to the point where they're like, let's just put it out there. Let's put it out there. And it gets lost in the void of the internet. It's definitely a tough thing. I've been lucky to learn a lot with PureMix about just marketing techniques in general. That's it's been an interesting thing over the last like I've been with them now for seven years, I think this year. And that's been one of the interesting side effects of the role that I have is learning about digital marketing, which was something that I never wanted to learn. It was, you know, that has nothing to do with compressors. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's been interesting learning about it and how it relates to to music. And as I started to learn more, I would try to have conversations with artists about like, hey, so when we do a pure mix video. These videos are extremely expensive and like expensive as records at, at times or whatever for a video. And if we just throw it out there, you thinking from a business decision that would, you know, it's just burning company resources and it would be a waste, right? Like if we just put it out there and then did nothing about it, we just said it's, it's available, you know, hopefully somebody finds it or whatever. That doesn't, it doesn't work. So I would explain like, here's what we do, like, you know, there's a content calendar and I can tell you what's going to be released in December right now, you know, and it's at the time of doing this, it's June or whatever. So it's like, we're always planning ahead. We're waiting where we have content that's done and ready to go, but we sit on it because we're going to do some pre-marketing shadows and we've got other content that we're still promoting. So not cannibalizing your last record, for example. So I would, I would just kind of explain these things. It's like, here's, you know, every video gets these certain posts, you know, like there's always a coming soon post, but you're, you're giving them little pieces of it to get them excited and not just saying like coming soon, but instead it's like coming soon. Here's a little piece of it to get them excited. Here's another little piece of it to get them excited, like doing things that actually add value instead of just saying like, look at me, I have something coming soon is a big one. The other side of that, again, like the cannibalizing thing is we have to make sure like, you know, each piece of content gets proper time of day or like time in the in the spotlight and if you just release your next piece of content it just kind of casts a shadow over the the content that was released before it so you have to be strategic about like this one needs to live in marketing land for this long before something else comes out and it's really easy to forget about the last record you made because you're excited about the new one that's a lot of the stuff that i just like go on and on about with artists <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it's good because you're probably the only producer mixing engineer I know who started a like social media auto posting platform. So that's pretty cool using your experiences to help people with that. So can you talk to Echo Punch and like how it's different from, you know, Hootsuite or IFTTT or Buffer or any of these like standard things that people use to post their stuff online? Yeah, it was born out of the conversation that we're having now. Like the moment of like inception for that product was I had a friend that I went to college with. He's an amazing programmer and he was always after me to make a product with him. And I was like, I tweak compressors. I don't have an idea for like a digital product like that. And he randomly stopped by the studio one day and it was literally an hour after I had that same conversation with an artist. And this was an artist that I respect greatly, um, who I'll like totally name drop because everybody should go see her. Uh, her name is Buggy, B-U-G-G-I-E. And I had worked on that record for six months in mixing. And that one was kind of drug out because one, we had our, our first child during the process of that record. And then two, she like her backstory was she was a singer in a very popular band. That band fizzled up. She moved to Los Angeles and got a really good corporate job as a graphic designer, saved up a bunch of money because in the back of her head, she wanted to make a solo record, like with, without band members telling her no, basically. And she had no experience with like DAWs or anything or home recording. So she knew that she was going to have to take some time to do it. She saved up a bunch of money, left her job with uh, like a year's savings and taught herself Ableton taught herself like home recording basics and made one of my favorite records I've ever worked on. It was incredible. Like when I heard the demos, I was like, I have to work on this record. Don't tell her, but I probably would have done it for free. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was amazing. But she's also a, a visual artist and a sculptor and she sculpted dioramas for every single song and had like these little short stories that went with every single song. And she had plans for how she was going to use like Instagram to kind of like tell those stories but there wasn't a marketing plan basically that that said or a content plan where it was like this one will come out at this time this at this time and they could all work to promote the record so she had basically like every piece of content an artist could want to release a record but no forged out plan to do it and it was the same thing of we got the masters back we had a little like listening party session and got some food and like listen to the record front to back in the studio and it was that, you know, like, ching, ching, we're done. Awesome. What are you going to do with the record? And it was literally like, I think Spotify can have it out in two weeks. And that went into like, let me show you a content calendar and all that. And like, we had that huge <laughs> conversation. An hour later, my friend shows up like after she had left and he was like, oh, show me some stuff you're working on. I was like, oh, well, I got this record pulled up. We just, you know, had a little like celebration listening session and played it for him and I was like, dude, like the, I, I just told him, like, I can't believe that this stuff keeps happening because there was another artist I had just worked with that same story. And I was like, this, it just keeps happening. Like she literally saved up a year's worth of money so she could just dive into this record. She made this amazing record and it's going to get lost in the, in the internet. And he was like, awesome. There's our app idea. I'll call you tomorrow. <laughs> like that was, <laughs> you know, literally it. And the lockdown happened two months later and we dove in for our quarantine project basically and worked a lot of long nights and just tried to figure out a way to create a tool that would help musicians understand the concepts of marketing without saying the concepts of marketing, because that's not a sexy term for a creative person, right? 
So yeah, Echo Punch is basically like a uh, buffer or Hootsuite in that you can go and create a social media post and schedule it to go live later. But that was the necessary thing that we had to build to do what we wanted to, which was help guide people through creating what we call campaigns. So that is like, basically, if you if you go in, you you have multiple campaigns you can select from and you could say, I'm releasing a single. So say, okay, well, let's do a 14 day campaign that includes everything from the announcement to telling the story of your band for people who don't know it yet, to telling the story of the song to behind the scenes pictures and really entertaining the audience leading up to the release instead of just saying, comes out in four days, pre-save, here's a link, go do this. Now you have a task on your to-do list because you <laughs> logged into Instagram, go save my song or whatever. <laughs> on the receiving end of that, you're like, I, I guess I'll do that, you know? So it'll it'll kind of like walk you through creating a campaign that's entertaining and engaging for your fans. I love that. I'm going to paraphrase, but you said something along the lines of uh, marketing is another way to entertain your audience. And that's that's huge because like a, a really good example is like when someone's having a wedding coming up, people start to get excited. But the wedding hasn't happened yet. You don't know where it is. and You don't even know when it is. Right. But it's still exciting for people. So can you talk to that as like how you build up that excitement, whether it be a single, an album or anything like that, and how artists should be thinking about what is exciting to people? Because sometimes they think, oh, I just want to put the song out there. I don't want to like talk about all this background stuff. Yeah. And man, there's actually a thing going on right now. I've, I've noticed on social media, there's a lot of talk about how the responsibility of creating so much content for Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and all of that is, is stealing time away from art. And it's like, what song could they have written if they weren't out making content? And that's something that I'm pretty painfully aware of because I'm not somebody who loves social media and was like, I want to build something for social media. It was it was coming from the the concept of like, how can we help artists use this to push themselves further? So I, again, like, I think it's all about just the same way that you do with a record where you create an experience for somebody. Like you're hoping that somebody will sit down and listen to your record or your single or whatever for however long it is. and be attentive and like actually go on the journey with you that you're bringing them along on in the song. When you create it, even if it's just to express yourself and it's not about like with the mindset of like, I'm taking somebody on a journey, but you yourself are going on a journey at least in your art. And the idea is if you want somebody to come along on the journey or experience your art or whatever, listen to it, be a part of it, you want to help guide them along. So in basically how I feel about it is if you're using social media as an extension of that, it can be just like writing a song, right? So it can be, you have the song, here's a story that goes on top of it and you can enhance that experience even further. There's a band that, that does it so well named 21 pilots who is also from my hometown here, but they created an entire world. It's like a little mini Lord of the Rings thing that they have going on that, that goes along with their records on the surface, if you hear one of their singles or something, you're like, oh, they're like, you know, pop for 20 year olds or, or something like that. But if you actually like hear more about what's going on in those songs and um, in some of like the lore that they've created, there's they've done things all the way to like locked up websites where people had to like find little signals inside of the website that, you know, somehow they would decipher that would give them to another website URL. And then when they found that, it would just keep going until they found out oh man, there's a record coming out in two months or whatever. But they put their fans on the journey like eight months before that. And it's like people went crazy doing it. They're wild. Like every record has a look to it and there's like a color scheme that goes with it. And 
there's a whole thing like even if you just look at their instagram page as you scroll down you see the different album eras so they're an example of just continuing your fans journey outside of the record and outside of the concert but using that as a tool to to just further connect yeah and that's a really good point you mentioned of like that creates super fans that will be like people be like, oh, my God, did you hear about the thing? They're the ones who are going to tell everybody else that about that website that was locked. And that's marketing in and of itself that you don't even need to do after that. Yeah. And it's that was I think that they might have even been a catalyst to me realizing all of this. But because marketing was something that always seemed evil. I was like an indie rock kid that like anti big labels and all that, like before, not now, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was like kind of anti all of that stuff because it was just like, Oh, that's not, that's not punk rock. That's not genuine or whatever. It's not real. But think like watching, watching what they did with it and watching how they would use these basically marketing tools to further accentuate the whole thing and create super fans. Like you were saying, where like people are showing up dressed in the same colors as the record and, yeah, it, it was just a wild thing to, to see that. But it really like shined the light on like marketing doesn't have to be evil. It's not always about selling people something. It's about creating an experience. And yes, like if you're trying to make a living in art, that usually will mean like supporting some type of merchandise or whatever. But outside of it, you can just continue to tell a story. You don't even have to sell something on your mailing list. You can just deliver an experience every day, you know? Yeah. And then people will show up like you said they'll just keep showing up if you give them that experience and there's something that you've been kind of like hinting at is that you know there's social media there's being the artist there's performing there's recording every audio person in any field does so much more than the thing that it looks like they do so 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 much more so can you talk to that as a mixing engineer producer content manager for pure mix all of this stuff can you talk to how it's usually not just that one thing that's the dream everyone has is like oh, i'm just gonna play guitar all day it's almost never that. Can you talk to that from your career point of view? Absolutely. And I think that this also does relate back to artists too, because all of us, well, like, unless, unless I guess if you have a gig for a company or something, but even then we're all running our own business. Bands, especially artists are the first ones that I think of that don't grasp this right away. Like audio professionals, we're like, we want to have a career in audio and there needs to be financial, you know, backing to be able to live our lives and do audio or whatever. And we understand that. So it's easier for us to grasp. We're running a business, right? There's still a block in there, but artists, I feel like they don't grasp it until it's too late until they're just like, ah, the music industry doesn't, there's no money in it. I'm out or whatever. It's like most of the time they weren't working like they were running a business in my experience on the audio engineer side of it. I feel like it's not something that I really understood even as late as like mid 2015s and it was all kind of around the time of starting with pure mix and we had the studio so i had like some experience running my own studio before that and then this one so i had business acumen but like not to the extent that i started to get it around that point a lot of it came for me on the audio engineer side from a podcast called the six figure home studio are you familiar with it yeah totally Man, Chris Graham, one of the hosts on that, is another Columbus, Ohio native. And we've talked about this and joked about it, but I heard about that podcast and something about the name turned me off. And it was that same like guy who was like indie rock, like I hate marketing, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right? They're just talking about money. What are they, you know, <laughs> nobody's making six figures in a home studio. <laughs> and an another person I talked to about this, like pointed out, like that was a narrative that I told myself that was really gross, <laughs> whatever. Like when I actually met Chris for the first time and 
like had lunch with him. And I was like, this guy's amazing. I have to listen to the podcast. And then I listened to it again, leading up to like knowing that I'm going to, you know, have a kid soon. It completely changed how I looked at everything business related. That podcast touches on so many things. They basically took all of the books that successful entrepreneurs kind of like read and talk about and I myself would see and like want to puke like four hour work week, <laughs> try 24 hour day. <laughs> like, you know, I was like this grumbly old audio engineer, but they took all these business books that are not attractive for creative people, in my opinion. And they basically transcribed it for the audio world. And they, they teach those, those techniques and stuff. So that was a turning point for me because I learned about things like Zapier and, and creating systems and just generally working smarter everything from like structuring how you do deals with with artists down to how i keep my books and everything and ultimately that podcast it took me from like being the grumbly audio engineer plus pyramids and all the other things it was working way too many hours and now i'm down to working normal size days because of just being better about systems that was a huge one i love it so like there's so much that like you just said like there's so much more to it than just being good at guitar or being good at mixing or whatever it may be. And how do you feel that people should be balancing that? Because there is that side of you that always wants to be creative. But then you look at that other side of the fence, you're like, God damn it. So how do you feel that like people should be balancing that? Because like you said, with the Instagram stuff, what songs could they be making if they didn't have to worry about this stuff? So how should people think about that balance? Well, so two things I learned. Um, this is going to sound like it's totally off topic, but it's, it's coming around. One of the things was like to listen to my body and my brain for what I was doing. And like, you know, this, like when you're working on a project for a long time, there's, there's a point where like you kind of hit a wall and you're like one more fader and I swear I'm going to lose it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you have to just like stop. And I used to just power through that stuff and just be like, no, get back to work or whatever salt of the earth get back to work or whatever you know <laughs> and i started instead like trying to be like well what would happen if i if i listen to myself and and just say like man for some reason like no matter where i put the fader it's just not working right now something's something's off in me so let me close pro tools and focus on the rest of the stuff and then i would just think through like you know if i like had it in a to-do list or whatever i would just be like what on the to-do list looks exciting to me right now that i could tackle and something will usually kind of jump off the screen at me and be like oh like go create the next three posts or like go write a newsletter for for my mailing list or like you know go qc a pure mix video or take care of this email that i've been putting off and procrastinating for a couple of days or whatever sometimes like the moments where the creative stuff isn't working the rest of the stuff will seem easy so I'll go and do that for a little bit. And then when that starts feeling like it's a struggle, you're like, oh, wait, check in or whatever. I'm like pushing myself to finish this email. Maybe I should open that song back up. And I found when I started listening to myself more, instead of like fighting my natural tendencies, I was getting more work done more creatively and faster. Nice. I really like that. Yeah, because a lot of people will think they look at their calendar and think they need to do all things every day. Okay, I need to work on a song every single day and I need to work on my Instagram and I need to work on my books and like all this different stuff every single day. But you kind of chunked it out based on how you're feeling, how you're doing, what you need to get done, what's most important, what's most urgent, that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. And I'm a huge fan of time blocking as well. So those two things can fight each other sometimes because like I'll I'll go through my calendar in chunks 
usually I'd like the, on like a Sunday before the week starts and I'll just be like, all right, this day I'm mixing the song this day. I'm, you know, working on pure mix, whatever it is. And then I'll kind of build these events into my calendar. And then as I'm going through my day, I've got this agenda that's like timed out. You know, I think that this mix will take me six hours or whatever, but I'll schedule those blocks around things I've noticed about myself, like when I feel like I do most of my creative mixing, which will usually, I start my day around noon um, after taking care of the little guy for a while. And I find that between like noon and two, I haven't changed over to to mixer mark yet. <laughs> Whatever, I'm like still <laughs> still transitioning from dad mark to mixing mark. So that's the time that I'll I'll use to take care of admin work. Mm-hmm. And then... I find that I do a lot of creative mixing between like two and four. And then I have a little bit of like a natural, like low spot that I hit around four o'clock. So that'll be like, if I'm really feeling drained, it's like go for a run or like do something again, like admin related or make phone calls because I'm like feeling dead. So phones are easy or whatever. And then I'll usually get like another creative burst around like, you know, four o'clock until eight o'clock or something like that. So I've, I've kind of like done this time blocking thing around what I, sort of see my natural tendencies being but even then it can feel rigid because you're like i have no mixing energy today (laughs) you know so it's like all admin and got to redo the calendar or whatever so there's a lot of that that's awesome nice and so just to start wrapping things up i have some like last little questions for you uh so when you were starting out there's a question i ask everybody when you were starting out in your career and that could be you know early as you're just playing as in a band or it could be when you first start getting into mixing any starting point you want to define and up until now how did you define success and how did that definition change over time wow that's a great question i love that you didn't ask the time machine question of like what would you go tell your <laughs> earlier self this is a really cool twist on it man uh Wow, this is a good one because it it makes you question yourself, right? Um, right. When I was starting out, success was if I could just make enough to pay rent, <laughs> you know, like right. that's that's success. And it, I mean, that is still still definitely at the basis of things. But that was it. Starting out, it was just can I make a living doing this this career? And that was a fifteen year struggle to get to that point for me. And then at this point. Now I see success as growth, I think. So like, you know, thinking about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I've like reached that point of like, I've got like stability in my career or whatever. I'm not super worried about paying the bills anymore. Like, thankfully, <laughs> that was like a struggle or whatever. But now it's about, I don't want to listen to a mix that I did even three months ago and think like I could never do better than that or whatever. I want to constantly feel like I'm growing. That's one thing I embrace is like when you think about like listening to something from 10 years ago and you're like, oh man, it's going to be cringy or whatever. I've tried to, instead of like feeling the cringe factor, like just embrace that feeling of like, awesome, there's growth. You know, like it's okay that I don't think that that's perfect because if I did, there'd be something wrong. So now I view success as like on a daily basis, I want to get to the end of the day and know that the decision to sit in a chair for however long it was to spend my life that way the end of it produced something fruitful. So I want to feel like the needle moved a little bit. Like I did something that's going to have whatever it is. I don't know, like career growth wise, whatever that needle is, just know that it's a little bit further and that my time was well spent doing that thing I decided to do today. I think that that's probably success for me now. 
I love that. What a beautiful answer. So final question to wrap things up. Where can people find you? Pyramix, Echo Punch, your own website. Plug it all. Oh, man. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, so a lot of like the the up-to-date stuff is happening on Instagram. That's Mark underscore Abrams underscore audio. My website is markabramsmixing.com. If you want to learn the art of making records, we teach that on puremix.net. And if you are wondering what to post and when to post it, echopunch.com. Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. That was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's awesome. You have wonderful questions. And that oh, great. success <laughs> one really tripped me up. Yeah, that's a wonderful closing question. <laughs> that's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening as always. And considering I work in the world of video game, music, and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you want to learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash soundbizpod, soundbizpod. And that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free eBooks and even sound effects. They'll get you set up and teach you how to work in the world of video game music and sound. Thanks so much. And I'll see you next time. And if you're looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to, this podcast is actually a part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. So if you want to check those out, hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.